We are reading from the first epistle of Peter this evening, chapter 1. Everywhere we read in the scriptures is so full of rich truths. We feel that if it were possible, we'd like to spend a year on every verse. The scripture that says in Proverbs 30, every word of God is pure. Isn't that great? It's wonderful that that's true, that we can have such confidence in the word of the Lord just to dwell in his word. Let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, we are aware that the power to bless lies with you. It doesn't lie with us. And we're aware, Lord, that in our petitions, we do come with confidence. We come with boldness to the throne of grace to obtain mercy, to find grace in time of need. And every moment, every moment is a time of need. We have need of you from the moment we waken in the morning until we lay our heads down at night to rest. And in the night, we need you. And so we are coming to ask for enlightenment. We're so glad that you reserved inspiration for those prophets and apostles that, whose words we read in Scripture, God's words spoken through the voices, the pens of holy men. But we can cry out to you for enlightenment. We're thankful that the Holy Spirit does this work. All unknown, unseen, to anyone but ourselves. And so as the preacher opens these verses with your help up to our understanding, we pray that the Holy Spirit will be talking to hearts individually. We know it's not a voice, but he points out truths and reminds us of truths and teaches us truths and calls things to remembrance and guides us into truth. And so it's a delight, Lord, just to read your word. And we look to you now for instruction, we pray, in the worthy and precious, the majestic name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Chapter 1, in First Peter, in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, Though it be tried with fire, it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls." Our focus is having a passion for Christ, and we're thinking of that holy love, that holy desire, worship combined with love for Christ, 
We love him because he first loved us. You know, in a proper relationship, even in this world, there has to be someone who initiates that love pattern, some who starts it. And that's the Lord. He first loved us. He first loved us. And this text is so good. I love the wording of this. Only the Holy Spirit could have put this together. Whom having not seen, verse 8, whom having not seen, ye love. Can't we love someone we've never seen? Why, yes, we can. Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom, and notice this phrase, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. What a content there is in this verse. There's love for Christ, but I've not seen him. Uh, there's joy, rejoice with joy unspeakable. There's glory. There's the end of our faith in verse 9, the salvation of our souls. All that is encompassed in this thought that we can love Christ, though we have not seen him. We would think that strange if, if some young man said to us that he was in love with a girl and wanted to marry her, but he didn't have a clue what she looked like. Well, we might think that a bit strange, but the Lord says here that we love him having not seen him. It's a, it's a, I don't know what's the right word. Sometimes I, I wonder if I've got the right word. It, it, it's a dilemma. Whom having not seen, you love, though now you see him not. A dilemma. It's a problem we have with our eyes. The one person we need to know we cannot see. Colossians 1, verses 13 to 15. I'll just read it to you speaks here, it says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God. The person we need to know the most is invisible. The invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, person we need above all others to know we cannot see. And there are, some, there are some elements to this that we ought to think about for a moment uh, this evening. There was damage done to the eyes of creation. If I can say it that way, I'd like to just limit it to us. But all creation suffered injury, suffered damage when Adam sinned against God. Adam's sin damaged our eyes. Look with me in, in, in the Gospel of John chapter 1. John chapter 1, because here the Lord tells us something really amazing. He says to us, you love the theology of this chapter, I know you do. In chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, speaking of Christ, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. The word world, of course, is the word cosmos. It's talking about everything the Lord created. The world knew him not. There, there was a problem. There was a problem with, with, with the ability to see Christ. Though he was in the world, he was incognito. He was not recognized. It was not always so. 
before his incarnation, when he was God the Son, before he was born of the Virgin Mary, all his creatures knew him. The stars in their courses, the sun in its strength, the earth in its orbit, all these sprang forth at his word and marched at his command. The Red Sea stood up for ramparts, and Jordan uncovered its pebbly bed when he required. Fire fell from a cloudless sky upon Elijah's altar. The great fish swallowed the errant prophet, and the fiery furnace lost its heat when he said so. His creation knew him from the beginning and rejoiced to do his will. But this text in John chapter 1 says the world knew him not at his incarnation. This is an amazing truth. He was in the world, the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. It's astonishing that when he came into the world, his voluntary humiliation, the habiliments, the, the clothing of his humility, of his humanity, concealed the glory of the Son of God so completely that no created thing knew him. Concealed at least until he began to speak the words his Father gave him to speak until he began to work the works his father gave him to work, until he began to fulfill the will of his father. And when he did, his creatures awoke to his true identity, and the scales fell off their eyes. Water became wine gladly at his will. Blind eyes blinked seeingly against the, day, uh, the light of day under his care. Atrophied limbs heard his word and moved with strength. Deaf ears and dumb tongues broke their restraints and resumed their proper functions. The atoms of a lad's lunch multiplied at his blessing and fed the multitudes. The fish in the sea heard his call and rushed to fill the nets. The stormy waves lay down at his command and licked the sides of the boat. The bodies of the dead felt new life at his touch and arose to serve him. If atoms and red blood cells and every other created thing had possessed the ability to speak, they would have lifted their voices again and again and shouted, Our master has come. Our creator has come down to walk among us. Let us do his will. Did not our Lord himself tell us that the stones themselves would cry out? If the religious mutes of Jerusalem hushed the praises of their children... I marvel at what the Lord said about the stones crying out. Stones don't have voices. Stones don't have tongues. Well, the Savior spoke truly when he said the stones will cry out if the children have to be quiet. There was only one of his creatures that did not universally leap up in joyful recognition when they heard his words, when they saw his works. Only man. Men with granite hearts and flinty minds received him not. That's what we read in Scripture. It says there in verse number 10 in John chapter 1, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him. And the world knew Him not. The world knew Him not. There was damage done to man's ability to comprehend, to apprehend, to be able to see the truth about Christ. That, that damage is still here. That damage is, our world is full of that. Pastor was telling me about talking to people yesterday and letterboxing and contacts that you make, and people are so blind. I, I'm absolutely amazed at people who are so blind. I have a friend. He's roughly the age of our oldest daughter. 
who was in high school with her and some years ago he came across us online somewhere and got in touch and I go and see him as often as possible. This fellow is a PhD qualified chap who became so distressed at the students in the university that he gave it up and went home to be a carer for his mother. And he lets me read the Bible to him and we talk about prophecy and we talk about the gospel. And last week I sat with him and talked to him simply, clearly, here's a man that borders on genius. Here's a man so clear about so many things and he's blind to the gospel. It just goes by him like this. He doesn't see it at all. His eyes blink blindly without that. But isn't that what Scripture says when it tells us, when the Lord tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them, who is it? That are lost. In whom the little g God, the little g God that they have made their God, the devil, hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. Oh, so this is the key. This is the key. An unwillingness to believe what God has told us about His Son blinds the minds of men. The image of, the image of God, Christ, the glory of God, and they're blind to that. Oh, this is the damage done by Adam's sins. I want you to look, if you're there in John chapter 1, notice verse 18 that supports this truth. It says, no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Isn't this a beautiful text? No man hath seen God at any time. There is this universal blindness on the part of men. But there is the remedy. There is the hope. There is the, the blessing of God giving his Son, the only begotten Son. And then notice this word, which is in the bosom of the Father, presently, at that time, when this was written, so that the, the omnipresence of Christ upon earth and in heaven at the same time, glory to God, hath declared him. He hath declared him. Uh, there's another text along this line. I, I'm not sure why I'm prompted to point it out to you, but you know it in John chapter 3. And verse 13, I remember how upset the modernists were and their, and their friendship, their close friends, the new evangelicals. Uh, when I heard a preacher point this out in 1972 when he first came to Australia, John 3, verse 13, and no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, the Lord Jesus says, even the Son of Man which is in heaven, present tense, presently in heaven at the same time, as he's on earth. That's the omnipresent God. That's the Lord Jesus in heaven and on earth at the same time. Have you ever thought, have you ever thought that the scripture telling us that the Lord Jesus created everything, and in Colossians chapter 1, we're told that by him all things do what? Consist. And that word we understand means hold together. Everything is held together by him, the creator. He's holding it all together. When people tell us that an asteroid's going to blow us away or, or this or that or the other, I can't help laughing at people who tell us that we ought to be alarmed because Beetlejuice just exploded. Yeah. You know what that is? It's a star. 
It just so happens that it's, they estimate 600 light years from here. Am I worried about that? No, I'm not worried about that. My Savior, the Creator, is holding everything together. He's told us how everything ends. We've read the last chapter of the book, haven't we? And we know how it all ends. And I want you to think with me about this, that while the Savior was in the womb of Mary, he was still holding all things together. When he was an infant in the manger, he's holding everything together. When he was a child at Joseph's feet, playing in the sawdust in the carpenter's shop, he was holding everything together. We have a glorious Savior, but the world can't see this. They have this problem with blindness. Look with me again in John chapter 1. In verse 1, it tells us here, the verse we know so well, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then look with me in chapter 1 and verse 14. John says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And then he says something amazing here, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Then how is this possible? If man is afflicted with blindness, if we cannot see, if we cannot perceive Christ, then how can John say this? We beheld his glory. And so this brings us to what I want to say to you this evening more than once. Believing is seeing. Believing is is seeing. The best definition I've ever heard of faith is faith is being sure without seeing. That's what these eyes hear. Faith is being sure without seeing. We can say that believing is seeing. And that's how it is that John says to us in verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so go with me to chapter 14 in the Gospel of John. Now I'm only telling you things you know already, but it's good for us to be reminded. In chapter 14 in the Gospel, Jesus said in verse 7, If ye had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Oh, he just said to us, no man had seen God at any time. Chapter 1, verse 18, and yet this verse says... From henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. That will be enough. We will be content if you will show us the Father. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? So the Lord Jesus made visible to our hearts God himself. Oh, we haven't seen him with the, uh, these eyes. Our eyes would burn out. If we were to look upon the unbridled glory of God, we would be unable uh, to contain the sight. We can't go to Revelation chapter 20 and, talk, uh, and, and consider what happens when the Lord Jesus sits on the great white throne. And for the first time in history, lets all the glory out. And when he does, heaven and earth pass away. It tells us there that the elements in 2 Peter 3, it says that the elements melt with a fervent heat. Oh my, oh my. That will happen there. Where will we be? 
we'll not be standing before the throne with the lost, with those who are dead in their sins. They will be in their resurrection body that can never perish, and they'll be standing there. There is a resurrection unto damnation, John chapter 5 says, and they'll be there. The books have been opened. Their works have been exposed. There they are guilty before God. No righteous person standing there. But Revelation chapter 3 says that the overcomers sit with Jesus in his throne. All the glory shining out. Our time is limited and we can't go and look at all the verses. But I want to say to you that through faith, God repairs and corrects our eyesight. And this is what we're talking about in 1 Peter. Come back with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, because here it says, Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom though now ye see him not, verse 8, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So not seeing him with these eyes. I just recently had a cataract surgery done on my eyes. How many of you have done that? Others among you would have done that. You've had cataract surgery, any of you? Surely I'm not the exclusive cataract surgery guy. Or what? I, I just recently had that. I've been going to an optometrist for some years and he kept telling me, you just need to pay me big dollars for more glasses. And I thought, wait a minute, this is not fixing things. Something's wrong here. I, I, I think he might be in the government or something, you know. Uh, and, and so I finally said, no, no, stop, no. And went to my, chemo, to, my, to my medical doctor and said, can you get me an appointment with a specialist, an eye specialist? I want him to look at my eyes and tell me what's wrong with me. She did. I went to an eye specialist and he said, you have five, five cataracts in this eye and two in this one. I said, well, no wonder I'm having problems seeing things. And so we set up an appointment and we had, I had surgery on this eye and he puts a bandage on it and the next day he takes it off and I look at Susan and say, woohoo, where have you been? Well, she'd been there the whole time, see. I don't think the doctor thought that was as funny as I did, but I thought it was really a great line. And you know, she made me donuts and pancakes and waffles and all sorts of things after that. Well, maybe not donuts. We have a problem with our vision. And I want to tell you that the great physician does a work in our hearts. I'm going, to, I'm going to put something out. I'm, I'm, I'm not into allegory, allegorizing Scripture. Please don't take it that way. But when the Lord says, taste and see that the Lord is gracious, there is an ability to taste that belongs to the heart. The Lord's not saying, stick out your tongue and lick your Bible. He's not saying that. He's talking about an ability to taste that belongs to the heart. There is an ability to feel the sense of touch, that doesn't belong to the hand, it belongs to the heart. And there are such comforts that the Lord gives to us that have to do what, with what's going on down here because of faith in Christ. The same is with hearing. No, I never hear a voice from God. An angel has never spoken to me. I expect one day to hear the voice of Christ himself. I trust he's going to say, come up hither. That's what I'm looking for first. But when the Lord speaks, I'm sure I'll hear it here, not here. And the same is true when it comes to vision. The, 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 the prophet Isaiah said, they have eyes, but they can't see. Ah, oh, their eyes here, but this is not working. This works, but this doesn't. And so I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if we could comb the scriptures and find 
beautiful evidences for the five senses that are in the body, oh, forgive me if I'm astray here, have a corresponding part within that perceives and enjoys and loves the Savior because of what's happening down in here. Now, I, I believe this is sound. Please, please, I mean this seriously. That if I'm astray, please come and tell me. I don't want to be in error in considering what God's Word says. But now I need you to turn with me to John again. And let's go to the ninth chapter this time. You have favorite Bible characters, don't you? I hope you have lots of them. Well, the ninth chapter of John tells the story of one of my favorites. And it's such an unusual chapter because the entire chapter is about this man, the man born blind. You know him so well. We won't read the entire chapter, but look at verse 1 with me. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And then in verse 6, when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. So here we have this wonderful miracle, amazing miracle, never, never repeated that we know of. There was no other man that we know of, no other man or woman or child that we know of in the Gospels that the Lord Jesus did this with, but there is one clay on the eyes of the blind men. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And then look with me in verse 10. Because when this man returns home, the neighbors questioned him. And in verse 10, they say, therefore said they unto him, how were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, a man that is called Jesus made clay. And anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. And then in verse 12, then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. And then in verse 30, <coughs> pardon me, the Pharisees question him. He's such an example to us in the way he answers them. In verse 30, the man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is. And yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of God, and doeth his will, him he heareth, since the world began. Was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? This fellow is He's not ignorant. He knows some things. He knows that history of medicine indicates that no one ever returned sight to a person who was born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? I'm going to ask you to permit me this evening to indulge, to indulge a small flight of fancy. I'm going to suggest to you that this man 
<coughs> is standing now outside the synagogue, expelled, no longer welcome there. And that the Lord Jesus comes quietly through the crowd. And rather than come to the face of the man, he comes up beside him and says to him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And then I'm going to suggest to you that the man goes, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And why do I suggest that? Because though this man was blind from birth, his ears worked really well. If you've ever met anyone that had been blind for a long time, you know that they develop their other senses to fine-tuned. I had a friend named Peter one time that could get out of a vehicle when I took him to a meeting, blind, blinded by an industrial accident, got out of the vehicle, <coughs> stood there for a moment, and listened in his blindness, and then walked straight to the door of the meeting hall and inside the door. How could he do that? Well, he heard where the people were. He heard where the people were. And I'm suggesting to you this evening that when the Lord Jesus said to him, dost thou believe in the Son of God? Who is he? Lord. Baptists are almost allergic to the word Lord anymore. I'm puzzled by that. It's such a great word. I wonder if we despise dominion when we ignore <clears throat> that title of the Lord Jesus. Who is he? Lord, that I might believe on him. Lord. And I'm suggesting to you this evening, discard it if you like. I'm suggesting to you that as soon as the Lord Jesus said, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? This man recognized his voice. I know who you are. You're the one that told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam. You're the one who put clay on my eyes when no one ever had mercy on me before, when no one could do anything for me, when it was not possible that anything could be done for me. You put clay on my eyes and told me to wash, and now I see. I know who you are. Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And then Jesus says this to him, and I want you to watch this closely. He said in verse 37 of John 9, And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. You've seen the Son of God. When has he seen the Son of God? Born blind, he didn't see the Lord when Jesus came with his disciples, and they're questioning who sinned, this man or his parents. He hadn't seen him with these eyes. When Jesus put the mud on his eyes, the clay on his eyes, he hadn't seen the Lord Jesus. He didn't see him do that. He was blind. When the Lord Jesus said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, he couldn't see the Lord Jesus. He had mud on his eyes and he was blind. And in my mind's eye, I see him tapping his way off down the street with his stick. Maybe his cup is in the other hand. Maybe he left it behind by faith. Tapping his way off down the street, he hears the children playing in that street, so he knows that corner. He hears the merchant men there. He hears the marketplace there. And he finds his way down the street 
all in blindness to the pool of Siloam in faith, bending down and washing his eyes. Well, this is the man who's never seen his mother's face. He doesn't know the color of a sunrise. He doesn't know the shape of that little creature that makes the peeping sounds early in the morning beside his window, the little bird. He's never seen one. And here's a man who looks with new eyes at what's around him. And Jesus says to him, thou hast both seen him. How had he seen the Lord Jesus? I'm going to suggest to you, please, this is not infallible, is it? I can't give you a verse for this. But I'm going to suggest to you that his heart's eyes in faith were opened first. And he did not have to see the physical form, the face of Christ. He doesn't have to see those hands that had mud on the fingers. He didn't have to see those. He saw the loving Savior with his heart. That's what happened to Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby lost her sight. You all know the story. She lived quite, to be quite elderly. Uh, some say she wrote 8,000 hymns. Some say she wrote 8,500. Others say she wrote more. I, I wanted to. I haven't done it. I'm going to do it for the next time I get to preach on this. I'm going to take all of her pseudonyms. What do they call it when we have a, a nom de plume? Is that what we call it? A name they write under? There were about 25 different names that she wrote hymns under. Did you know that? And they've listed them. Dr. Google doesn't know everything, but he knows a thing or two. And they've listed those. And I would like to read all the rest of them out and say, we sing her songs all the time. Because her name was Fanny Crosby. And she was blinded as a child. What was her age? Do you remember how old she was? Anyone remember? She was blinded as a child. The doctor gave the wrong solution in her eyes. She lost her sight. She lost her eyesight entirely. And yet she came to faith in Christ and saw him to be her Savior. He could say to her, thou hast both seen him. <laughs> it is he that talketh with thee. And this man's response is so beautiful in verse 38. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Oh, I'm looking forward to being in heaven. And I want to sing with this man. I want to sit with this man, worship with this man. Because here is a man who was born blind. He not only had that blindness, but he had the blindness that Adam's sin brought on all humanity. And yet he gained spiritual sight first, and then physical sight, and then worship the Savior. Worship the Savior. What a beautiful thing that is. The great, so many of the miracles are sermons. And this is one. The great sermon of this miracle is believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. The eyes of his heart had already seen and received and laid hold, gazed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is sure without seeing. I, I think it, it, it's discouraging. To go through life knowing Christians that see God's workings like this. There's a gap between my fingers and I can see a little bit. But oh, how much better it would be to say, Lord, I believe. I believe your word. Clear my vision. 
Help me to see the way you work and what you want to do in my life and how you work in others' lives. Help me to see. Take my foolish hands down, the skeptical hands that would cloud my vision, and help me just to see things the way you see them. I just want to see things your way. Oh, how much better it will be.